You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. This is Locked On Hornets, your daily podcast on the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Visit our new website, Locked On Sports. Com to get the latest on our podcast on the NFL, the NBA, now Major League Baseball, and of course, fantasy sports. I'm Doug Branson. I cover the team for FanRagSports.com. We are coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios here in BEA, beautiful Uptown Charlotte on a fun Friday. And I'm joined by the new host of Locked On Hornets, Walker Mail from ESPN 730. Walker, welcome into the studio. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm excited kind of for the pregame, I guess, before the main event, before we get started, That's right. I guess, next week. And I appreciate the transition that you're going to help me out with here. So it should be fun. And I'm excited to get, I guess, into the meat of all the Hornets stuff today and then kind of go into details later on. Right. Yeah. So this is sort of our uh, awesome uh, SmackDown event before WrestleMania. That's what the Monday is going to be wrestlemania that's when walker is going to really uh, lay it all down I'll bring for out you. the high chair and i'll bring out all that good stuff going forward and this is this is going to be a cool couple of, of weeks coming up because it's going to give you an opportunity i think to really dig down into some of the issues the the disappointments that that came with this season but there there is a lot to learn from uh, what happened this season and Unless something radically changes, I mean, we're looking at a lot of the same players being a part of this roster going into next season. So there's a lot to glean, a lot to learn, and a lot of internal uh, player development that needs to happen with this team. Yeah, there really is. Uh, You look at the kind of changes that this Hornets team could possibly make, and there's just not a whole lot. And that's why you're probably going to have to get rid of some of the good things that you have with this team, because there's just no other way to ship off some of the bad things that you have. And Mm -hmm. the payroll is just ridiculous. I know we talked about it, but it's the number it to me. It's it's the number one problem with this team. I think that's what you have to look at first and foremost, because if you don't have a bad payroll, then you can you can have significant changes based on any position that you have on the roster. You can get out of it. Right. I mean, if you have a payroll that is locked in and a bad one like the Hornets have, nobody wants to touch you. Nobody wants to come near you. Right. And that's the problem with change with this particular organization. And that's why it's going to be so difficult. It's just such a difficult situation to see them any kind of radical change in Unless, of course, that's where Kimba Walker comes in. That's mm-hmm. where possibly a Jeremy Lamb getting shipped off. Malik Monk's not out of the question here, depending on what kind of star, star you're looking at. It, it's going to be some radical change uh, as far as getting – you're not going to see it, excuse me, unless you get rid of some of the good things that you have, and there's not too many of them. I, I like that point you just made, that teams don't really want to touch other teams that, that have their backs up against the wall uh, because those teams, you know, they have zero leverage, essentially, unless – you're the Cleveland Cavaliers because for for whatever reason it has befuddled me for for many years now why teams continue to let the Cleveland Cavaliers off the hook financially and, and allow them to get out from under uh, what are either bad deals or bad players and, and help them live out their LeBron James <laughs> Finals uh, dreams. Uh, but it might not happen this season because they really couldn't get it together in time. Right. Uh, but it just it's it's weird that the teams are are more 
uh, likely to deal with a team like Cleveland that has a chance to go to the finals, and then uh, Charlotte may struggle to find suitors, and they're really no threat in terms of the the Eastern Conference Finals for years to come. No, they're they're not. And and again, when you have again this kind of roster and this kind of salary invested in all of these guys, it's really going to be hard to move off of it. And and you mentioned some of the deals that the Cavs are, are were trying to make. Well, again, we were all pretty shocked when all those moves were made at the deadline anyway I mean it was crazy to see what Kobe Altman was able to do and we anointed him GM of the year and again I think people got crazy invested into that team afterwards Mm -hmm. because it was such a dramatic overhaul Mm -hmm. but then you kind of look at it take a step back all right we got excited over Rodney Hood Eh, okay I I like Rodney Hood I like Rodney Hood but we got excited for that change and say them they're going to go crazy deeper you know what I'm saying I just not I think we need to take a step back and then here you want to put a hornet spin on it. How much change can you really get as well? We assumed that LeBron James could rise any boat. Yeah. And and it, it, it looks like, at least now, uh, for now, that, that that might not be the case. It took a Herculean effort by James uh, to win a playoff game to the Indiana Pacers by three. So trouble ahead maybe for, yeah. for the Cavs. But back to the Hornets, I want to get your take uh, as we we head into uh, your your first show on Monday, I want to get your take on on this past season. Uh, aside from their their payroll woes that really didn't allow them to make the adjustments that we've seen the Hornets make over uh, the past couple of seasons to to turn their seasons around, they really didn't have that kind of wiggle room. But what else uh, do you think went wrong with this team that had you know after acquiring Dwight Howard and Michael Carter Williams? They, they did have some hope that this team could achieve some playoff success. Steve Clifford said to the very end in his last press conference was adamant that this was the team that had the most talent in his tenure. In your mind, why didn't that talent equate to wins? Uh, I, I have, it, it's kind of weird to look at the individual parts of this team and you look at each one, you look at each position and you think, okay, that guy individually seems like a pretty decent name on paper. And then you just put them all together and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Dwight Howard over Marco Bellinelli and Miles Plumley is a big upgrade. I know a lot of people had a problem with Dwight Howard coming in here. I was actually a fan from the get-go. I thought that, I, I'm not going to say that I predicted this type of season from him numbers-wise, but I did expect him to have some value. I, I kind of just bought into the more of the Steve Clifford relationship more so than anything. I thought that was real. I thought there was a reason that Clifford wanted him. I thought there was a reason that Dwight Howard at least had shown a genuine emotion towards coming to Charlotte, com- coming towards uh, Steve Clifford. And I thought that would work out well. And again, I guess I guess you're kind of right in the fact that Dwight had a good season, but then you look at the rest of the season for, the, I guess, the season with the whole team, all of it intertwined, and it just seemed to not work. I, I think that at the beginning, there were probably some inflated stats for Dwight Howard, mm-hmm. you know, going in the paint, not exactly effective when you look at a game from in the entire um, and you just take a step back and you look at the entire picture, you know, you would see good stats from Dwight, but perhaps it wasn't the best thing for the basketball team. So then I think they got off of that a little bit. I think they started to get in a better flow and Dwight Howard started to be utilized a little bit better, but again, not as well. And then you look at the defense, you know, Dwight Howard is considered somebody to come in and, and significantly help any kind of defense to be that anchor, which still I think has value in today's game. I understand we're moving on to a smaller ball type of basketball. 
I still think an anchor down low still has value, and I thought that would provide something for for this team as well. The defense just didn't get better. In fact, it looked like they got worse this season from even last year. Yeah, and I think at times, and that to me is is the number one reason that Steve Clifford is no longer head coach of this team because you you heard some things out of the the team leaders and Kimba Walker, Marvin Williams, and MKG that that there was a little bit of a let up defensively this season that there was. Uh, there was a lack of of spirit, and I think at times you look at this team, uh, looked at this team this season, and you went, where, where was that defensive energy that I remember uh, around the the Hornets led by Steve Clifford? And it, it honestly it made me wonder at times, and this may be an issue of like chicken and egg, but it made me wonder at sometimes like imagine Dwight uh, the healthy Dwight Howard that the Hornets got this season, and and defensively. Most of the time, defensively, he was an absolute plus. There were times when you saw sort of the the Dwight Howard that people like to criticize defensively, slow-footed, you know, concrete in his shoes, uh, staying exclusively in the paint. Uh, th- there were times like that, but most of the time he was a plus defensively, and you wonder, like, stack that with this team and how it was defensively two seasons ago out on the perimeter and how that would have worked and you know health issues surrounding Cody Zeller health issues around Nick Batum teams should be able to to weather that but we've talked a lot about on this show that when you build a team full of uh kind of stars almost stars though they all have to be healthy like they all have to be ready to go every night giving 110% that obviously i think war on some of the players that have been here for five and six and seven seasons. And ultimately, they just could not, uh, night in and night out, provide the level of energy and intensity that it was going to take to execute the plan that Steve Clifford had set up for this season. And and it resulted in, in too many L's on the on the, uh on the list yeah no I, I'm, I'm with you and again you look at again I was looking at Dwight Howard a lot and I know we talked about him a lot but one of the biggest problems is Nick Nick Batum and how you thought he was going to improve from last season had to have get, a jump he had to and he and he didn't at all and, nope. and last year was a really bad year not only was it and not only was it. it not up to par but it was it was really bad when you just look at all the numbers even efficiency wise what he was able to do on the court and you come this year thinking okay Nick can't play like he did last year or this right. team is going to be right where it was and and maybe Dwight could help something there but when Nick is so bad like that and when when he's just not as effective you know, I I think I was looking at this I don't know for the first few healthy games of Nick Batum's season um, maybe going I don't know probably about a 25 game sample size at that point and I was looking at all the guys that were getting paid max contracts or getting paid you know what what was the highest payroll where he fell he fell about 40th I believe as far mm-hmm. as players getting paid the most money in the NBA and at one point he was dead last in points and he was second to last in field goal percentage so when you look at the bad contracts in the league Nick Batum is bottom five Bottom 10 contracts. So you can go to the classic Luau Dang and Timothy Mozgov, which, surprise, good luck, Hornets fans. Mitch Kupchak is the guy that was <laughs> responsible for those. We're going to get so much better. But no, I, you look at those two contracts, they were, they're among the worst. But then you look at Nick Batum, who you just really don't think about it. Then you look at, dive it a little bit deeper into the numbers, and was he a plus defensively for this team? I thought he was going to be an upgrade I, when he came here initially. And I thought he showed you some signs defensively when MKG was out two years ago. And that was a good year for him. Hasn't done it the last two years. And it, I, I think you have to question whether that one good year where he was able to make that money was an anomaly. Yeah, and I, I think obviously 
that Nick Batum and Dwight Howard were not on the same page. Maybe some of that has been well documented here recently too. It yeah. seems like a lot of people are starting to dig into that. And, and and maybe and he I'll say this too. I don't think that he was on the same page as Stephen Silas when when Silas took over. We we discussed that and, and wrote some articles on that at the time. I don't think that there was a, a shared philosophy about how. I don't really think the Hornets ever figured out how they were supposed to win, uh, especially offensively, uh, defensively. Uh, I think it's clear that they they did not get any better and 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 certainly got worse defensively than the past three seasons. But I would also say that offensively, they never really figured out the the right balance of ball movement and getting Dwight Howard what Dwight Howard needed, and 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 getting Kemba what Kemba needed, and, and figuring out how late in games to win when the other team was throwing uh, two players. And uh, using the T-shirt cannon on Kemba and throwing a couple chairs his way, like they were doing everything that they could uh, to take Kemba Walker out of the game, and 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 you know just trying to figure out how to get some offense going uh, in the fourth quarter was also a huge issue. Uh, I'm here with Walker Mail, the new host of Locked On Hornets. He's going to be debuting his show on Monday. We're going to take a quick pause. Coming up, top stories of the off season. I've got a list. Maybe we'll rank that list. Rank radio. It's always it's just a go-to. Right up my wheelhouse. Everybody baby. loves rank radio. <laughs> so we'll do some of that. And also, I want to know, this is the real question I want to know, am I missing something? So uh, we'll, we'll reveal this list. Walker's going to chime in. We'll be right back. You're listening to Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, every day. This is Locked On Hornets. And would, would, would I have liked to see a few more shards? Sh- shards? No, I would not have. That's not Only on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Looking at this post on Reddit right now, the, the title of the post, and by the way, NBA Reddit, love it. Just, just full of great content, has really filled the satchel of NBA lols over the course of, of our show. Uh, but the title here is, The 2017-18 Charlotte Hornets are eerily similar to the 2016-2017 Charlotte Hornets. And uh, the user here, I hate repost. A lot of stats here. We'll link it in the show notes. Uh, but really the big takeaway, Walker, when you look at this, is that the differential in terms of points scored, in terms of the amount of offense they were able to derive from the three-point line, from the free-throw line, really did not change dramatically for the better. And in a lot of cases, in terms of both defensive rebounding, turnovers, uh, personal fouls, and uh, rebounding, did, just got worse for the Hornets. And a lot of the things that were tenants of the Steve Clifford era and and principles that he espoused over and over again, those things started to slide. And despite the the massive change in, in bringing Dwight Howard into your squad, the numbers just did not go in the right direction for, for this team over uh, the previous year. And you know what's funny? Bringing in Dwight Howard, I would think, would it certainly would change your perimeter game. And perhaps the good teams don't have a change in perimeter game, even despite having a good big man. You know, like Clint Capella 
is a perfect example, I think, that you're seeing with Houston. Clint Capella is a good player in this basketball league. Mm-hmm. And I don't they don't change their game for it. It's a guy that runs the rim. He's going to get the dunks. He's going to oh. get the low post looks. I mean, and not the low post looks as far as going to work on the block, but mm-hmm. he's going to get the rebounds, gobble them up, and get your trash man mm-hmm. points. And that's mm-hmm. perfect. And it's funny because here we have athletic dudes, just specimens, as your trash guys offensively, just running rim to rim, getting right. a lot of these dunks. It's it's hilarious to see where the game has evolved. But Dwight Howard, I thought, would change that a little bit. And then you look at some of these stats. You mentioned some of the similarities. Let's look at the three-pointers made. 824 each year. Right on the nose. Boom. Right and on the nose. It's crazy. And you look at this season, it's actually a significantly better percentage. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a decent amount better percentage from what they had last year. 2,347 attempts last year. 2,233 this season. So you're talking about 120 less attempts and the same amount of three-pointers. You think that bodes well for them. But in the end, I guess, one, it literally is the same amount of three-pointers attempted. What, and made that, in but that's exactly the point. It's the same when all the trends, that right. when you stay the same, you're really going backwards because every other team is taking a lot more three-pointers. And I would love to dig into that a little bit more to see how many of those were assisted versus last year because I think – that the number would probably be higher last season than it was I this agree. season. And I think going back to what you were saying about Dwight Howard and 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 not changing the the offense and the defense, I think part of the reason for that offensively was they were never able to really develop that over-the-top game that Dwight Howard loved and they utilized a ton in Atlanta and then even in Houston that previous year. Uh, they were able to get him so many lob looks, and that provided some easy offense for Dwight Howard. And Kimball Walker struggled with developing that. Of course, Nick did as well because it didn't get that early work. I mean, I think if you looked at it, like Frank Kaminsky was one of the guys giving him more lobs than than some of these guards. So that was a problem. And then real quickly, defensively, the difference between the Hornets and the Rockets when they have similar big men defensively is that the Rockets have players that can switch in front of Dwight Howard. And, and and Boston does this same thing because Al Horford, not really a mobile big man. He, you know, he's easy to drive past. They have to they have to sit him back as well. Uh, he's really good at hedging, but he, you know, they still have to drop him a lot. And but but Boston one through four can switch. And part of the problem is the Hornets kept acquiring players that really struggled to do that. I mean, Frank Kaminsky, chief well, Frank, among Frank them. Frank Kaminsky can't do it. He can't do it. I mean, no, it's just literally Frank Kaminsky cannot do it. And I was a guy that I get clowned all the time for my belief in Frank Kaminsky for the first couple of years. Mm-hmm. And defensively, he's just never going to be anything special. But I agree with you. You just can't do it. Marvin is a little bit different. That's why he was starting. Right. I mean, there's a reason Marvin was starting. You think Nick could at times, and then Nick would just not be impressive defensively. And he's got the body for it. Mm-hmm. He's got the body for it, and he just wasn't able to. And again, you can go back and just picking individually what you're talking about. MKG is a good defender in this league. But if you're going to draft somebody number two overall, and if he's going to live even close to the hype of that, I think a lot of people expected him to be All-NBA, competing for a first-team All-NBA defense. I just don't think you see that from him. It doesn't mean he's a bad defender. You don't have to go on one opposite end of the spectrum, but he's just not competing for first-team All-NBA. And this sounds weird, Walker, but riddle me this. If uh, if MKG were able to contribute even an average output offensively for his position and, and maybe knock down some three-pointers, 
would it garner him enough attention as a two-way player to actually help his case as an all-NBA defender? I just really wonder if there's a bias that says, great defender, but God, he's not doing he's not doing anything offensively for you. I can't make this guy an all-NBA anything. So that his offensive lack of production affecting what he actually does defensively. Consciously or unconsciously. Maybe. I, I mean, it's a good point because when you think of good players, right? I mean, do you, do you think of just do you have to have some of that offensive production with it? I would counter with Andre Robertson. Roberson, or what? I think it's Robertson, right? Robertson is a guy that just can't flat out shoot anyway. They'll That's leave true. Him, they'll leave him alone. I like that and, and it's a guy that is revered for his defensive ability. And I think people see what OKC has done without Roberson out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah. There's a difference, and and people tried telling us, right? People that were close to the team saying, "Look, this is a legitimate. This is a legitimate guy that they lost, and nobody really." See, believed that's it. the problem. That's OKG's not from. missing right. enough games. Right. Wait a minute. Yeah. Oh, right. wait a minute. Right. But he has been healthy the past two seasons. Yeah. But but you don't have that. But seriously though, so many people would point to on off with MKG, and and then you get him for eighty two games or I think eighty one last season, and then a significant number of games this season. Well, how- Right. How about coming in two seasons ago, right? Mm-hmm. The guy plays seven games. Mm-hmm. I hear that he is, besides Kemba, the most important player for the Charlotte team. Mm-hmm. Even with Nick Batum there, who again, before before we a lot of Hornets fans started to turn their back on Nick Batum. This was before all that. This was when everyone was saying pay him the max. Even before that, people were saying MKG was the most important player outside of Kimba Walker for this Uh team, and I didn't disagree with him a whole lot. I I probably would have gone Nick Batum at the time, and I still think it probably rings true considering their lack of record, but people love them some MKG, and and myself included. And I think that at least he had shown there was something there mid-range at least for MKG. It It wasn't completely off. He wasn't at least you know 20%, right? I mean, at least you could see something there. And then again, I just think you never saw the next step taken from him. And I, there's not going to be any hope for him outside of a three-point land. And I, as I a team, when it. you invest in in all of these these players over the long term, that's what you have to see. You have to see the development. You have to see the next step from both Nick Batum and Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. And and you just wonder as Mitch Kupchak looks over the landscape of this team, has that has that time run out when when you expect a next step to be taken? When you look at these statistics that uh, we're going to link in the show notes and you go, wait a minute, for the past two seasons, nothing's changed. W- was this the year you needed to see an improvement from MKG? Like, are you, are you set that you're done right now on seeing any kind of offensive improvement for him? Or is he still young enough? Because he is pretty young, again, getting drafted as a rookie or getting drafted as a freshman out of college. Are you, are you pretty much comfortable saying... I just don't see any more improvement. Well, it's it's the same thing with with Frank Kaminsky in terms of we've been talking for for three seasons now about his offensive confidence waxing and waning. And at what point do you go, okay, this this issue seems to be systemic? At what point do you look at MKG and say, wait a minute, he had the ability to shoot three pointers, got injured again, came back, decided not to take them. You know, at, at what point do you decide, hey, this this might not be a thing that that can actually happen over the course of an entire season. And that certainly has to weigh uh, on the mind of Mitch Kupchak as he looks at what decisions he wants to make in this offseason. Speaking of this offseason, we've got our top stories of the offseason. I've got a list here. I want to run by Walker, see if I'm missing anything, because this is what he's going to be covering starting on Monday. He takes over here for me on Locked On Hornets. We're going to take a quick pause. We'll be right back. You're listening to Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 
This is Locked on Hornets. Our boys got to go Cobra Kai. We got to go 80s villain defense. Grow a goatee. Do the uh, gladiator stab him real quick in the ribs before the game. Have an Eastern European accent. Only on the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, time for some rank radio. I've got a list here of the top stories of the offseason. I was able to compile one, two, three, four, five, six. I know I'm missing something, though. I've got to be missing something. Uh, But there is a lot going on. There will be a lot going on this offseason for the Charlotte Hornets, at least a lot of options, a lot of decisions that they have to make. This team could look very similar uh, next season, but it could look very different. All right, here's my list. I've got uh, Kimba Walker written down. What is the future of Kimba Walker in Charlotte? Is he in a uniform, in a teal and purple uniform next season? I made the bold prediction yesterday that he would not be a Charlotte Hornet going into next season. You're all in on that, huh? Or close to it? Or you think that Kimba Walker's not going to be here? I think overwhelmingly he is the the piece. If Mitch Mitch has got the itch to make a move, then... What what other option does he have? What other piece does he have other than the the pick? Now if now if, here's the interesting thing: if the pick jumps up into the top three, then all of a sudden maybe things change because now you've got an asset that you could turn into. You could move some money with a with a top pick. It might make some fans mad because fans are just they just want that top pick. Right. They want they want to 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 bet on the young guy. It provides hope. It provides the unknown. And yeah. people fall in love with that. But for, for GMs, you know what it provides? It provides an opportunity to buy antacids. It provides a lot of stress. It does. Uh, because they've got to bet on these young guys that really, I, I think I think most GMs have to go into it assuming they know everything. But I think in the back of their minds, they always know that this, this whole thing is a crap They know shoot. nothing. They, they know, know nothing. nothing. I, I interrupted you. Go ahead. I, I want. I want to figure out what the rankings are. Well, so let's move to Mitch's first draft. I mean, that's going to be. I, I think that could be number one in my mind. Then the next head coach, then retool or rebuild. Will a lamb have to be sacrificed? We've heard a lot of this from Rick Bennell and Bobby Marks. Will a Jeremy Lamb or a a a good up and coming asset like Lamb, like Monk, have to be moved in order to free up some money and continue to hunt for the playoffs? And uh, I've got a little free, or not free agency, this will be a trade, uh, but a little player action here. Kawhi, not us. Mm. It'd be nice, right? Kawhi Leonard. To, to have Kawhi Leonard come here, and perhaps Kimba Walker and Kawhi Leonard go hand in hand. Um, I, the only one I can think of, and again, not to list players, but the, the one I, I can think of, if you're just going to give me one limit on a player to mention, is Malik Monk. Just the kind of development that he has. And maybe not this offseason, maybe maybe if you're just looking strictly at this offseason, but remember he missed last year. That's a great point, Malik Monk's development, because we've talked so much on this show about how so much of what you're going to see from Malik Monk in the coming seasons, everybody wants to talk about player development, and they put that so much on the coach and the coaching staff and the G League or the yeah the G League and 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 the the general manager. They put all the player development on everyone except for the player. Like so much of this is so much of what we see from Kimball Walker is the fact that Kimball Walker, you know, barred the doors, put chains on the doors of the gym, and stayed there until he developed a three point shot. Will Malik Monk do the same thing for his defense? Right. 
That's the big question. And again, even until he gave you something at the end of the season, even efficiency there, I mean, it wasn't there. I mean, you had 32% from beyond the arc for a while until he started to get hot at the end of the season. So Malik Monk's development would be the only thing I can think of at the top of my head that I would mention. But I believe, again, all of those are good. All of those are among the the top things that you're going to have to discuss this offseason to see how the Hornets can improve. And again, what is a situation that is less than ideal? Do you have... Do you have do you have the list here? Then what you listed off as your ranking, or how how would you number? All right, so I'm gonna do th- I'm gonna do top three because that's an easy thing to tweet. So if you're if you're following us on on Twitter at Locked On Hornets or on Instagram at Locked On Hornets, let us know what are your top three storylines for this offseason. Here's my ranking at at number three. I'm going to go with Kemba Walker, and that may shock a lot of people because he is the Hornets' number one asset, and at a lot of where this team goes will hinge on that fact. Uh, but I'm going to go Kimball Walker at number three. I'm going to go retool or rebuild. And those are these are kind of connected. But I'm going to go with this one at number two. And number one, I really think it's Mitch's first draft. And I and here's why. Because, because of the Hornets draft history. Because I read a, an article about the Boston Celtics and about Terry Rozier. And they brought up the Frank Kaminsky thing. Because that is the, the stigma that is on the Charlotte Hornets right now starts and ends with the NBA draft. And and so I think there's a lot of pressure pressure on or there will be a lot of pressure on Mitch Kupchak to get a draft correct. It sets a new tone. I the Frank Kaminsky offered trade by the way is probably the most fascinating thing Hornets associated that I love talking about mm-hmm. because it again I just talked about providing hope. It's amazing to see what Zach Lowe reported that day. And then you look at it and you see how the six degrees affects every single part of the NBA. It changed the NBA landscape when the Hornets turned down that offer. If they turned down the offer, I'm not going completely against. I'm sure there was you're, some You're not kind, sure they wasn't even offered? No, I'm sure there was an offer. I'm just, I, I believe that Danny Ainge is a lot like my father in that the the, sudden, the stories get bigger every time you tell them. One of my favorite movies, Big Fish. That's Danny Ainge. Danny Ainge wrote Big Fish. I don't right. know if you know this. this is a little no, I, fact. I, I he was a, the, it was a he was he penned the script to Big Fish because that's the kind of stories he likes to tell, and and the story tends to change as the narrative changes. So I'm not I'm not disputing that there was a deal. Here's what I'm also not disputing. Uh, God, I love I just love reliving this history. But this is what I'm also not disputing. Just like that several other teams passed up Donovan Mitchell, but it, it ends up getting pinned on the Hornets in the, in the, national, uh, the, the, the national story. Several teams, I think, also passed up that same offer, but it, it goes back to the Hornets, and that's what I'm saying. The Hornets have a stigma on their draft history that the Pistons don't have, that the Heat don't have, that the Denver Nuggets who trade or that traded the pick to the Utah Jazz for Donovan Mitchell. Right. No one's writing writing national stories about the Denver Nuggets missing out on. on I feel like Detroit's getting some hate now. Okay. Do you feel that? A you don't bit. feel well. Detroit? That's because Luke Kennard really made zero impact right. this season. Right. Yeah. Like Luke Kennard is the guy you picked before Donovan, and then you looked at their history. Detroit, uh, it's it's bad here in Charlotte for all the draft history. Detroit's is worse, and I feel like that was brought to our attention maybe a little bit here with Donovan. But you are right. I mean, the Charlotte Hornets are getting some notoriety as a team that just simply cannot draft. The Frank Kaminsky thing, though, it, it does fascinate me as well. We'll move on from it. Right. We'll move on from the Frank Kaminsky. The Potential, quote unquote, turned down offer trade between Michael and Danny Ainge. But I, I, I like I have the first three circled as well. 
Okay. I, I do. I, I looked at this. Head coach, I thought about sneaking in there. because It's interesting it, that neither of us put that in our top three, and I, I sort of touched on this the last couple of episodes, but I haven't like fully formed this idea in my head. But I'm, I'm starting to think that this head coaching search is not the most important thing for the future of this franchise. I, I think they could get away with finding a steward of the franchise and and because they got to figure out where this franchise is going and they may not be able to do that this season. So whatever head coach they get might not fit whatever vision they come up with for the next four or five years. And I think that there's good names out there. I, I don't know if there's going to be guys that they would necessarily have to settle for. Yeah. You know, I, I think Tori Messina uh, is, is revered as a guy that is out there. I and mean, Dave Fisdale, I would like, I, I'm on the bandwagon with everyone Fizzy. else. Yeah. I, I would love to have David Fisdale in, in Charlotte. I think there's a, a decent amount of names where at least you have a nice pool to pick from. So I'll leave that out. I have Kimba Walker. Number one. I do. All right. Kimba Walker to me, and it kind of goes in the same exact explanation you gave for Mitch's first draft being number one, because here is the one guy we did hit on, and it is the one guy that we have yeah. come to love here in Charlotte, that and we're sending him off. It was fun. And it's necessary. If, Nobody if, believed if, if, that at the, at the time, though. No, they did not. People were angry, <laughs> and now people understand, wait, this is a bad situation, and I apologize for getting angry at you guys saying, it is for the better of the team. Kim yeah. Walker is is number one for me because you are shipping off quite possibly, mm-hmm. and, and I'll put him number one as the mm-hmm. best Charlotte Hornet in, in, that's ever played for. Him. Right. You consider longevity, totally. you consider production. Kim Walker is the best Hornet. Thank you. We'll see you next. We'll see you when you come here as a visitor. I put him as number one. I think Mitch's first draft and the retool rebuild. I think I'm going to go retool rebuild number two, just where you have it, and I'm actually going Mitch's first draft number three. And the reason I have it is, I, I I love your explanation. I think it does absolutely set the tone. The reason I have it third and ahead of the other ones that you mentioned is because I, I don't know what the margin for error is for him as far as making an impact in your probable 10 to 12 slot, right? I mean, you're it looks like you're going to be picking at 11. And you could have a big impact, right? I, I get that. But then you look at the history. It, it, it takes you to nail that. It takes you to nail that pick. And that's what you have to do as a small market. I get that. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to hold it against him if he doesn't do it the first go-round. Give me two, three years. And I'm not saying that he can miss on it. This guy has to produce. Don't get me wrong. He cannot be a bust. But he doesn't have to be young. But if he doesn't find Donovan Mitchell at <laughs> at 11, that's okay. I'm not going to kill him. Yeah. Right. He doesn't have to be Giannis. He doesn't have to be Donovan Mitchell. He doesn't have to be Paul George. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to be C.J. McCollum. Be nice, though. Right now. It would be very nice, but he doesn't have to be it right now. I want that guy in the next couple of years, but he doesn't have to be that guy right now. So that's why I put it third. And again, still high. You have other ones that are certainly necessary to be on this list, but I, that's why I have it behind Kimba, and that's why I have it behind the retool or rebuild, because the retool or rebuild, which I'll go into, is it, it is it, it quite literally – it dictates what you're going to do as the future of this basketball mm-hmm. team. So uh, you could argue that very easily, number one, because the Kemba Walker and the retooler rebuild thing does go hand in hand. But that's why that that's that's the reason for my listing. That's the reason for my radio rank. I like the I like the well. Listen, we're agreeing already, and that's that's fun. Uh, <laughs> so that's good. That's a good start. Uh, but we we disagreed on the order, but we agreed on the. But re- what I really want to know is what you guys think. So make sure to tweet us at Locked On Hornets. What are your top three stories of the off season? Give something for uh, for Walker to talk about on Monday, so he can uh, he can read your tweets on that. Um, but this is this is exciting because I think our the ones that we circled really represent the uncertainty 
uh, around this franchise. And when there is uncertainty, that means a couple of things. That means there are going to be things to talk about, but it also means that there is going to be some opportunity. When there is uncertainty, it could lead to opportunity. And uh, you you have someone in Mitch Kupchak that is a veteran of turning nothing into something. I mean, that's the one thing you can you can take away from 90% of his tenure in Los Angeles was Mitch Kupchak being known as a guy who could take a, a group of players and turn them into championship-level pieces. I think he does have... A, a superior eye for talent, and and if he is allowed to to shape a, a vision that he believes can win a championship in 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 several years, then then good things can happen. I think at the end of that Lakers tenure, you saw what what could happen to Mitch if the clamps were put on, if things were were going to happen too quickly. You you, you get a Mozgov, you get a you get a Luol Deng. Yeah. That, those are those are probably. I mean, man, he is responsible for two of the worst contracts in the NBA. That it, is undeniable. It, it that's a little unsettling. But again, at the end of that tenure, the one thing I will say about Mitch Kupchak that I don't think he's getting enough credit for, I really haven't seen it referenced a whole lot anywhere, is that Mitch has some clout in what has become of this young core for the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah. Remember, he he drafted Julius Randle, who. You were kind of uncertain about him, but now it looks like a guy that a lot of people are going to be knocking on his door to come to this basketball team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Brandon, Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram is a guy that mm-hmm. you drafted um, number two overall that I think does have a lot of talent, that I think is going to come into his third year. And now people are starting to see that those pieces of the puzzle come to fruition. And remember, again, the, I'm not saying the guy is amazing. But he did draft D'Angelo Russell instead of Jaleel Okafor when Jaleel Okafor was almost the slam dunk number one overall pick. And then you thought, okay, if he doesn't go number one overall, Cat, I, I get it. Start Carl Anthony Towns starting to create some clout there for himself. Yeah. He's got to be number two, right? Mm-hmm. But then the Lakers start to come out saying they're really interested in D'Angelo Russell. Which one of those guys turned out to have a better NBA career right now? You know, and Mitch said again, he mentioned in his press conference, he likes the way the game is being played today. I, I just think that you can look at some of his draft history, certainly recently, and maybe didn't knock it out of the park with anybody. But I don't think he does a whole lot differently as far as the 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 talent that he drafted. Um, I, I don't think it's a lot worse, I should say. Excuse me. I, I don't think that he did all that bad of a job with what he did with the Lakers at the end of his tenure. That's an interesting draft. Carl Anthony Towns, Jalil Okafor, D'Angelo Russell, three players that I think... Uh, certainly had some question marks around them and their particular games because everybody's going to find some kind of negative. But I think it was three players that you were fairly certain were going to make a significant impact on their teams. And I think three players now, even Carl Anthony Towns, I think there's there are big enough question marks around his uh, ability to understand the game defensively that uh, that you know I don't think you could call any one of those guys. Sure, fire. Sure, thanks. No, and, and no, and I, I get you on that. And and so it's funny, you know, who the fourth overall pick in that draft was, right? It was Chris Stapps Porzingis, who of course is the best out of all of them. But again, nobody was saying that. Been, remember, New, Nick fans booed Phil Jackson when he fell backwards into that because Jaleel Okafor was not available, and that is the reason that they pick Porzingis. At least it's been reported. So I, I agree with you. That draft is pretty fascinating. And then again, that is when the Charlotte Hornets took Frank Kaminsky. I- 
I heard that Danny Ainge would definitely yeah. have taken Christoph Porzingis. He was <laughs> I, definitely going to do it, I, and then yeah, you know, my sources tell me that Danny happened. Ainge, yeah, absolutely would have taken Christoph Porzingis. That just an interesting draft overall. Just how it affected the NBA, and now you kind of have the cycle come together with Cup, Mitch Kupchak coming here to the Charlotte Hornets. All right, this has been a fun episode here on Friday to close out the week. I've been talking with Walker Mail. He is going to take over this show on a Monday. It's going to be fantastic. Make sure you are subscribed. Make sure you are telling someone about the absolute best place for Charlotte Hornets news and analysis. The show goes on. The show continues to be weekday, Monday through Friday. You can check us out anytime. LockedOnHornets.com, iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Just search Locked On Hornets. Uh, thank you again to everyone that has supported this show. Uh, and uh, I can't thank everyone enough for all of the kind words that, that you've given to both David and I as we close out our tenure, our tenure here on Locked On Hornets. And all I want to say is, I've said this many times over the past couple of days, I am extremely excited about the future of this show. And both David and I will be a big part of that. So uh, with that, I'll say for the final time, for David and the entire crew here at Locked On Hornets and Walker, go Hornets, go America. Let's swarm Charlotte. Charlotte.